Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Hello, friends. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am really excited about this Sunday's message. It's a really rich and theologically dense piece of scripture, the prologue to John's gospel, the first 18 verses, those famous lines, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And there's so much in this passage that we kind of have to skip over a little bit. As a matter of fact, there's a bunch in there about John the Baptist that we're going to be covering next week. So we kind of looked over that. But um, there's some really neat connections that I discovered I'd never seen before, um, before preparing for, for this week's message that I think you'll find really enlightening. Ways that John is tying together the creation story, really the, the story of the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Israel's God, to the story of Jesus. And this, particularly the creation story in Genesis 1, and seeing Jesus as part of the new Adam and the inauguration of the new creation where we are invited into to be new human beings. So enjoy this, uh, this message here. I think you're going to have a lot in it to walk away from and think about. Let's pray together. Illuminating God by the power of your Holy Spirit, Through the hearing of your scripture being read and your living word proclaimed, reveal to us the word who became flesh, living full of grace and truth. Amen. I'm in a bit of a conundrum uh, because I see what time it is right now. And uh, this, this 18 verse section of John's gospel, I think has more written about it than any other 18 verse section of the Bible. As a matter of fact, as I was preparing for today's sermon, I was reading, doing a lot of reading. I have like several commentaries and one of uh, my go-to commentaries, the very first line that it said was the gospel of John opens with one of the most challenging texts in the New Testament. I was like, great. Yeah, so like normally, you know, you take about 20 verses and, you know, you get you get to read through maybe 25 or 30 pages. Um, Here we're talking about like 50 or 60 pages each. Right. There's just so much. It's so dense. And we're not talking about Tom Clancy novels here either. Right. This is like small print, lots of footnotes. Um, So I'm I'm necessarily telling you that to say I'm not going to be able to cover it all. There's going to be a lot of things that we're just going to have to skip over and move past. Um, and there's really a ton in here about what does it mean to be full of grace and truth? Why is it that his people, the world, preferred the darkness over the light? What is it to become a child of God? You know, why was the law given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus? 
or some of the nitty-gritty into the grammar, which I know you're all really disappointed that we're going to skip. <laughs> Darn, I heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so really, what this is about, the probably quintessential, unique contribution to the world that Christianity offers is incarnation. God came to us in the flesh. Carne means flesh, right? Incarnation in the flesh. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. That God came to us, became one of us. And I think that's what John is talking about in his prologue. What that first 18 verses is the prologue to John's gospel, the introduction. And so I have a couple of uh, little uh, quotes here that I'd like to read for you to help set the context. One is from Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan. He was talking about Francis of Assisi, who I don't care who you are, everybody loves Francis. And he had a unique insight, theological insight. And he said, the visible world, what he called the first incarnation, that, that God brought his spirit into creation here somehow, is an active doorway into the invisible world. That the mystery of the incarnation shows us this universal truth. Ordinary matter, ordinary things like bread and wine and flesh and bodies is the hiding place for the spirit, forever offering itself to be discovered anew. And there is a 20th century uh, German philosopher, who I know everybody reads lots of, uh, named Ludwig Wittgenstein. Yeah, his mother loved him. Um, and his goal in life as a philosopher was to seek the truth. And he wrote, he wrote this one little line in the margin in one of his journals. He said, the solution to the riddle of life in space and time lies outside of space and time. Which to me sounds a lot like John's prologue. That God came to us from the outside and entered into it. And Albert Einstein said something kind of similar to this. And this is attributed to him. I don't know for sure if it is or not. I think when people have something witty that they say and you attribute it to Einstein, everybody's like, oh, yeah, that was right, yeah. Um, apparently, he said, no problem can be solved at the same level of consciousness that created it. Again, the solution to the brokenness of our predicament comes from outside of our predicament. And so we're going to be talking about the the incarnation, and what does it mean? And ultimately, uh, it probably no shock to you that the witness of John's gospel, that as a matter of fact, the witness of all of the New Testament is centered around the person of Jesus. Jesus, who we called Christ. Christ is just the Greek word for the, the, the Hebrew Messiah, Savior. So Jesus Christ, right? Christ, not his last name. Son of Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. No, it is his title. Jesus Christ. And he is the culmination and the fulfillment of the long story. The long story that began with creation and went through Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon and all the way up to the exile and to his point in history. He is the culmination. And the big challenge of the church for the first 500 years, my friends, it took 500 years before the church could say, okay, we think we've got a handle on who this Jesus person is. So when you're working through hard things in your life, remember that. 
It took them 500 years. If you find yourself ever a little confused when you're reading your Bible, there are really smart people who were working on this for a long, long time. So you're in good company. Trying to figure out who the heck this central figure, who this Jesus person is, in particular his relationship with the God of Israel that he called Abba, Father. Because when you read John in particular, it brings up some questions. Especially when you're holding Jewish monotheism together with it. And it's out of these Christological questions, that's a fancy word for who the heck is the Christ, what is he? Uh, Out of those questions that what we call the Trinity, that doctrine is developed. And now if you look and read in your Bible, you will not find the word Trinity there. But, If you read your Bible, particularly the New Testament, but you'll also find it in the Old Testament in places, you can make pretty good argument for why the church came up with this doctrine that God is three in one and one in three. And one of the key places that the early church turned to, what we call the church fathers, is John's gospel. And one of the key places in John's gospel that they turned to was the prologue. To John's gospel. And right up front, John lays out the case for Jesus being identified with the God of Israel. The one he called Abba. And over the last 1,500, 2,000 years, there have been lots of people who have been trying to understand and wrestle with who is this Jesus person? What, how does he relate? And they've come up with lots of different solutions to that question. And there have been people like Apollinarius and Sibelius and Arius. And these are all people who the church said, I think you're a little off. I think you're a little off. I don't think that's quite right. And there are modern folks who have done this as well. And we're not going to go into them. um, But there are people who have come up with different answers of who Jesus is. And I never want to denigrate anybody else's religious tradition. Um, But the two kind of main modern uh, groups, religious organizations that come up with a different answer of who Jesus is, it are the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Again, not a denigration, just saying they come up with a different solution, a different answer. Um, and so there continues to be this wrestling about who is Jesus today. And so I want to um, just kind of wrap up this little section about the Trinity here quickly with a quote from another 20th century New Testament scholar who said, the deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God. If this be not true, the whole book is blasphemous. That is the Orthodox Christian perspective on who Jesus is in a nutshell. So I want to move quickly over to uh, how John is connecting this story of Jesus with that long story of Israel. He starts his, his prologue, his whole gospel, with in the beginning. And if you are anybody who's familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, you're going to hear, oh, I know that. In the beginning. That's Genesis. That's where, that's where that comes from. Except in Genesis, in the beginning, God. In John, in the beginning was the word. And John is doing that on purpose. He's trying to tie together the Genesis creation story with the story of Jesus. And we know when we look at, uh, remember, there were two temples. There was Solomon's temple, which gets destroyed during the Babylonian exile. And there's a second temple. That was the one that Jesus and his disciples, when they said, whoa, look at the lights, look at the stones, look how big they are. They're talking about the second temple. 
that there are writers during that period of time um, who see the temple in Jerusalem as a small working model of creation. There are these ordered uh, concentric circles leading into the holiest part. So if we parallel creation with the temple, right, just as the temple has the image of God in the middle, and in the temple in Jerusalem, that there's the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant and nothing's there, right? But in most temples in the ancient Near East, they would have some statue, some figure that was there. Remember the story from the Old Testament where they bring the Ark into the, and I can't remember the name of the idol off the top of my head, but every morning they wake up and the, the, the idol is knocked down and something's broken off them. And they're like, we got to get rid of this thing, right? That was a normal temple practice. So if the temple in Jerusalem was like a small working model of creation, and in the middle, the most holiest part of the temple was supposed to be an image of the God, Genesis is saying, what, what's the last thing that's created right in the middle? Human beings. And what do they do? They bear the image of God. In our image, we will create them male and female. That's what it means to be human. To bear God's image into the world. That's our vocation. That's our job. To reflect God and God's glory out into the world. To be wise stewards of it. To take care of it. And if we read John 1, the prologue through that lens, we see at the climax of this story where Genesis has the creation of humans in God's image, John has the word becoming flesh. Here is the most authentic and true image of God. John is saying that Jesus is the image bearer, the one in and and through whom the creator is most fully present. And John will emphasize this later, and we'll get to probably a month or two, maybe three, maybe four, down the line. When Jesus, no, 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 because this comes away at the end of the gospel, when he's before Pilate, right? And he's standing before Pilate on Friday, which is the sixth day of the week. And if you remember, that's when the human beings were created in the Genesis creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. On the sixth day, God made male and female, called them very good. This is the day uh, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate says, behold the man. Whoa, John knew what he was doing. And he makes a similar echo when Jesus is about to die. And the words that are on his lips in John's gospel is, it is finished. Those are the same words that Genesis uses when creation is completed. And it was finished right before God rests. And of course, Jesus too rests for three days in the tomb. That giving you goosebumps? It is for me. But of course, Jesus is more than just an image. Remember, he called himself the temple. Oh, you think that thing's great? I'm going to break the temple down and I'll raise it back up in three days. And when Solomon built his first temple, the glory of the Lord, they call it the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord in a, a, this huge cloud descends on the temple and it fills it so they can't even go in. They can't breathe. They can't see a thing. They didn't have the like firefighter masks at the time. And God's presence was there. But when, when that first temple was destroyed, Ezekiel, who's a prophet who's in Babylon, 
right? Because Babylon, they're the ones who destroyed the temple. And so he's in exile. He has this vision of God's presence getting up from the temple in Jerusalem and leaving. And later in his book, he has a vision of God's presence returning to a rebuilt temple. And Isaiah gives us a vision in chapters 40 through 55 of God's presence returning in a servant, a suffering servant. Well, you know the story. The temple was rebuilt. If you read your Old Testament, that's in Ezra and Nehemiah. But guess what? God's presence never returned to that second temple. And so what John is trying to tell us in this poetic imagery here is that Jesus is more than just an image. Jesus is more than just the temple, the symbol of creation. Jesus is actually the living embodiment of the returning presence of God to Israel. There it is again. And so this is the core. This is the take-home message of what John is trying to teach us, to get across in this prologue. God became flesh. God's presence is dwelling with us in this human being named Jesus of Nazareth. And so in short, the prologue is saying Jesus is the full divinity of God. And he does that with the the words, the word became flesh and lived among us. Some translations say the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. John recognized God didn't stay distant, far away, remote, aloof, isolated, uncaring. No, Jesus, God in the flesh, was imminent, was personal. God chose to live, dwell, be with us in all of our humanity, our weakness, our confusion, our pain, our loss, our grief. And here's the difference that this makes. My bet is that a lot of us feel like God is way out there, way off somewhere, and really couldn't care less. Like the the cosmic clockmaker who created it, who wound it all off, and then took his hands off and went on a lunch break. And not only is he way off, but he's just ready to judge us and nail us when we mess up. Now, that is a version of who God is, but it's not the Christian version. That's not what our tradition and our scriptures tell us. We profess that when God became flesh, God knew joy, pain, love, suffering, loss, grief, and knew what it was to die. That is a far cry from that clockmaker, way out distant. This is the God who is with us. The one who comes from the outside but enters in. Kind of like those old Western movies where the hero always comes from like somewhere. He's like out just, I don't know what they did. They were just like riding around looking for towns to save. You always wonder where they got their food from. I always wonder that. But then he comes to town and he becomes personally invested even to the point where he's willing to give his life. To put his own life on the line for it. This is the God of Christianity. This is the God that we follow and we worship. Not one distant, not one aloof, not one far off, but one who is real and present and intimate. 
the God who is closer to us than we are to ourselves. Praise be to God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for taking on flesh and moving into the neighborhood. Thank you for revealing your glory, your image, for being the temple where we meet you in the person of Jesus. We thank you for his life, for his teaching, for his baptism, for his trials, for his suffering, for his fears, for his anxieties, for his courage and his bravery, for his saving death, and for his resurrection and ascension. Lord, thank you for drawing us into this grand narrative, into this story, letting us in on what you're doing. Equipping us to be your image bearers out into the world, to be followers of Jesus, the one who is your image. Lord, thank you for the great gift and great responsibility that this is. And we pray this all in his name, because he is Lord and he is Savior. Amen. Hey, friends, thank you so much for spending your time with us as we are continuing or really starting off on our journey through the Gospel of John with the prologue here. I hope you took something away, went deeper in your journey with the Lord, uh, were upbuilt in your understanding of who Jesus is and the message that our scriptures are trying to tell us about about the God that we follow. If you are in town here, if you're around, we worship at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. You are welcome. We would love to meet you. Uh, please come and introduce yourself to me. I, I love uh, getting to meet new folks, and um, there is a community of people here who are seeking to follow Jesus that you are welcome to join up with. Uh, of course, if you, if you aren't and you'd like to see the whole service, I want to remind you that you can go to YouTube, and you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden, and we've got all our services recorded there. And of course, if you would like to support this ministry, our church, uh, what we do here, please go to our website, and you can donate that way. You can help to encourage and support the work that we do in Ogden, and this podcast, and our streaming that goes out into the into the world. So you can go to www.fp cogden.org and you can give that way. Well, thank you for spending your time with us and God's blessing to you until we meet again.